Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone back for our evening service. We're glad that you uh, are able to join us uh, for our evening service. Uh, just to make you aware of a few things that are coming up this week or just in the life of the church, uh, we have prayer meeting at 7.30 uh, on Wednesday. It's in person, as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, uh, as a man from the congregation brings just a short devotional and we just have an extended time of prayer. Uh, we have some of the children's classes uh, on Wednesday night, so we'd invite you back for a prayer meeting. Also this week on Friday, the Youth Fellowship have an event here at the church from 6 to 9, and we're having a movie night, uh, keeping the movie a surprise, so we'd invite you to come out uh, for a time of uh, just watching a movie together and getting to hang out. So again, uh, Youth Fellowship, that is on Friday from 6 to 9, and we'd ask uh, that you do sign up for that. And then lastly, uh, today is the deadline for Snow Glow early registration for Youth Fellowship. So if you want to get that early price, we'd encourage you to sign up by tonight, as today is the deadline for that. Let us just open our service in a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for being a God who uh, is far more powerful, is far more wise, uh, just completely amazing compared to us. And Lord, we thank you for uh, just everything that the scriptures reveal about you. Lord, I just pray as we get the opportunity to open up your word and, and hear your word preached uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes, I pray that you would just be with Pastor Reed as he brings forth your word, help him to be able to preach clearly, Help him to be able to challenge us from the scriptures. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, truly work in our hearts and our lives to just really help us to live out uh, your word in our lives as we go into this week. And uh, Lord, I even pray for the time that we'll be able to sing uh, and be able to even hear uh, special music. And I just pray that that would uh, truly minister to our hearts, uh, teach us truths about you. And uh, I pray that you would help us to genuinely worship you and uh, Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing in our church. I thank you for just the building project that's going on, for uh, even the Sunday school and the prayer meeting that we're able to, to do now. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to work in our church and, and Lord, help us to just grow in our walk with you. And in your name I pray, amen. You can remain seated as we sing together, starting with Come All Christians, Be Committed. Oops, here we go. Come all Christians, be committed to the service of the Lord. Make your lives for Him more fitted To your hearts with one accord Come into His courts with gladness Each His sacred vows renew Turn away from sin and sadness Be transformed with life anew of your time and talents give ye, they are gifts from God above. To be used by Christians freely, to proclaim His wondrous love. Come again to serve the Savior, ties and offerings with you bring. In your work with Him find favor, and with joy His praises sing. God's command to love each other is required of every man. Showing mercy to our brother mirrors His redemptive plan. In compassion he has given of his love that is divine. On the cross sins were forgiven, joy and peace are fully mine. 
come in praise and adoration all who on Christ's name believe worship him with consecration grace and love will you For the Spirit and the Word And repeat the gospel story Till all men His name have heard As the deer My faithful Father Endoring friend Your tender mercies Like a river With no end It overwhelms me covers my sin each time I come into your presence I stand in one 
Good evening, everyone. Trust that you uh, have picked up a handout that was in the narthex, and we're ready to go. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 to 17 this evening. The structure of Ecclesiastes is somewhat difficult to follow. It's not laid out in very logical arguments such as the Book of Romans would be, in which topics are dealt with and uh, there's a very 
linear, straightforward, uh, argumentative uh, outline to the book of Romans. In fact, in the early days of our country, lawyers studied the book of Romans to learn how to argue a case in a court of law. Uh, it is that precise. Well, that's not Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is like a tapestry with threads that run together and intertwine. Sometimes those threads seem pretty dominant. Sometimes they're much weaker, less apparent. So as we work our way through Ecclesiastes, one of my goals is to try to demonstrate those threads that don't initially, I think, come to light, but to show how there is an ongoing round-the-house kind of basic material in the book of Ecclesiastes. When we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, it said, Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. The thought was that people were being oppressed by powerful individuals who did not care. And they saw the tears of the oppressed and did nothing about it. That theme is picked up now as we begin Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. And there's a specific application, and that is with regard to the love of money. Now, the love of money is going to be a thread through Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. In particular, I want to show the connection between what seems to be kind of out there, it's, you know, why in the world is 5, 8, and 9 there, and then 10 and 17 seems like an entirely different subject. But the reality is that that's not the case at all. But rather, we're to see in Ecclesiastes 5, 8 to 17, the effects of the love of money on society as a whole, very briefly stated, and then a, a more intricate discussion of the love of money and its effect upon the individual. So we begin by looking at the love of money and its effect on society at large. It says, don't be surprised to find oppression where you should find justice, Ecclesiastes 5.8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, they go hand in hand that oppression of the poor is indeed a violation of justice and righteousness. It is a violation of equity, of that which should be done justly and then also righteously. It's an offense before God to oppress the poor. B, justice ultimately will be had. For even those in the highest positions still have an authority and judge over them, namely God. So reading verse 8 again, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. We shouldn't be surprised that government is corrupt. Government has been corrupt in every age. Power corrupts. Power treats people unjustly. Power treats people unrighteously. So don't be surprised at the corruption of government, but further be solaced, realizing, end of verse 8, for the high official is watched by a higher. And there are higher ones over them. So there's this ladder of accountability of governing officials. And low-level officials have officials over them. Higher officials have officials over them. And the highest official in the land in the time of Israel was the king. But there's one over the king. 
There's one to whom even the king is accountable. No one ultimately gets away with injustice. There is someone on the side of the oppressed. There's so, there is someone on the side of the poor. And it's the Almighty God. Here's the connection. See, rulers seek to justify their oppression by saying as the result of the oppression the economy is booming. Verse 9. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. Oppression, the king says, is a good thing. Oppression is beneficial. There are cultivated fields. So let me give you an example. Number one, for example, one way that slavery was justified was that it was seen as a necessity of the labor-intensive cotton industry. One reason, not the only reason, that slavery was not widely practiced in the North was that the labor industries of the North were not as labor-intensive as picking cotton in the South. There wasn't the economic interest in slavery in the North that there was in the South. South had huge plantations. The South had huge cotton fields. They had to have somebody to pick the cotton. The cotton fields didn't exist in Pennsylvania and New York. We were an industrialized part of the nation. Steel was being produced. It didn't require the man labor that cotton picking did. And so, that being such a large part of the economy in the South, that was its justification. We need slavery if we're going to survive. In a, trying to move forward in a somewhat similar fashion, are issues associated with migrant workers in California. And I just picked on them. We can talk about migrant workers in Texas and uh, Florida as well. But you have the same economic issues. Fruit has to be picked. Who's going to pick it? How can it be picked in an economical way? And so migrant workers are brought in to pick that fruit at a very reduced price. And four, still further, debates over what is a livable minimum wage versus the effects of raising the minimum wage upon the overall economy. That's a debate that is very relevant, very present today. What should be the minimum wage? What does it take for someone to live and provide for their needs? With the recognition that is, more you raise that minimum wage, the more you're gonna bring down the economy. The more the rich aren't gonna get richer. For oftentimes, the rich get rich at the expense of the poor. So how do you balance those very opposite views and those very opposite approaches to economy? What I'm saying to you, Ecclesiastes is extremely, extremely relevant in working through even the issues of our day. But that leads to a discussion of the love of money, right? So now we move from society at large to ourselves as individuals, the way that money impacts us. It's nice to keep it out there and you know, just think about government and the policies they make, but it brings it home and it starts talking about the love of money for the individual. And, of course, collectively, we as individuals are going to affect our government. So they're very, very related. D, this leads to a discussion of the effects of the love of money on the individual. B, the love of money cannot satisfy an individual. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Love is a supreme and earnest desire. 
But it says in verse uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. There are 11 different Hebrew words translated in English in the word love. This is the strongest word. This is complete devotion. This is an obsession. This is a craving. People who just want money. Be the person who loves money or wealth will never have enough. They will never be content. They will never be satisfied. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. It doesn't matter how much money a person makes. If they love money, it won't be enough. They're going to want to make more money. All you have to do is watch sports contracts of 300 million, 400 million, 500 million dollars. And the athletes are not satisfied with their $500 million. And the next time there is an opportunity to uh, negotiate their salary, of course, they're going to want more. 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 Um, Many years ago, Henry Ford was dealing with people that were uh, starting a labor union. And he was asked by a news reporter, how much money do people want? And Henry Ford's answer was, just a little more. Just a little more. That's what we always want, just a little more. Well, those that have a great love for money constantly are wanting more. So see, the one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed. The end of verse 10. This also is vanity. It's meaningless. It doesn't accomplish anything. This love of money is not going to bring the satisfaction that people think it will. So often, our hearts go to the thought, if I only had more money, I'd be more content. If I only had more money, I'd be happier. It's a delusion. Money itself can't bring satisfaction or contentment. Three, the one who sets his Uh, Now, we move to a discussion of the reasons why uh, money cannot satisfy and bring contentment. The reasons. So, moment number three. The one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because with increased possessions come increased expenses. Ecclesiastes 5.11. When goods increase... They increase who eat them. In verse 11, we're talking about an increase in possessions. When it's talking about goods, it's talking about possessions. And when it's talking about they increase who eat them, it's talking about the more you have, the more money it takes. With the communication of possessions, there is a corresponding accumulation of expense. The more you have, the more it costs. There is increased maintenance. <clears throat> Think, for example, <clears throat> if you decide that you really want a car collection, there are people that have 500 automobiles. There are people that have beautiful collections. <clears throat> well, let's say you want to have a car collection of 100 cars. And you accumulate this car collection, 100 cars. Well, you want to put those cars on display. You want to be able to show them off. So you've got to build a building that's big enough for your 100 car car collection. But you don't want these beautiful antique or exotic cars to just be sitting in a warehouse. You want them to have be put on display with lights and staging and you know you're going to want some gas pumps sitting around you're you're going to want some old memorabilia of of uh, signage that comes from gas stations, etc. You might want to set settings for 1950s and how that's going to look. And so you've got to spend this money to support this car collection. And then you don't want these cars to sit there and go to ruin. So you've got to have a mechanic that's full-time that's just going to care for and keep these cars in running order. And it goes on and on and on. 
more and more expense, requiring more and more money. You buy a yacht. It's great. But then you have to have a crew to man the lot. You've got this incredible diesel bill that you've got to pay if you take that yacht anywhere. And yachts aren't docked in the marinas. They're out usually 10, 15, 20 miles from the shore. And you usually don't live right where your yacht is. And it travels around. So almost any size yacht has a helipad for it, for a helicopter to land on. So now you've got to have a helicopter. Now you've got to maintain your helicopter. Now you have to have somebody to fly your helicopter. And it goes on and on and on and on. With increased possessions, there are increased expenses. The more you have, the more you need to have. The more you possess, the more money you have to have to take care of those possessions. It's shown in the New Testament where it says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Another illustration. Michael Jackson, before his death in 2009, was recognized as the most successful entertainer of all time by the Guinness Book of World Records. In 1991, he signed a record recording contract worth just under $1 billion. That was a lot of money in 2009. Billion dollars. He purchased Everland Ranch in 1988 for the price of 17 million. It had grounds containing a zoo, an amusement park, a movie theater, a railroad line, helicopter pads, and its own fire department. It reportedly cost more than 10 million dollars a year to maintain. Jackson was well known for his shopping sprees, including a six million dollar trip recorded for the documentary Living with Michael Jackson. In 2007, Jackson filed for bankruptcy after not being able to pay back a $25 million loan on his home, Neverland Ranch. Even after signing a nearly $1 billion recording contract in 1991 and selling more than 750 million records, Jackson had lost 5 100th 1% of his net worth in accessible, uh, had just 5 100th of 1% of his net worth as accessible cash, which left him no option but to file for bankruptcy. A billionaire filing for bankruptcy because he was not satisfied with what he had. And he kept buying things that required money to maintain. And it got just out of hand. Next. So, lesson. No matter your income or personal net worth, you cannot overextend yourself by taking on more debt or financing a grander lifestyle than you can afford. Bottom line, everyone has to live within their means. And those that have an extreme amount of money many times find it the most difficult to live within their means. Number four, the one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because quite often increased wealth and riches are not all that useful. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? That's why I used the car collection of 100 cars. What's the person going to do with these 100 cars? They'll put them in a big building under lights and go out and look at them every now and then and let other people come in and look at them and walk around and point it out and tell them what kind of car this is and what kind of car that is. But most likely, not going to drive all 100 cars. What good is it, Proverbs says, I mean Ecclesiastes says, just to look at just to look at it. Just to say I have it. Not that it's necessary. And not even that it's useful. But I've got it. And I can look at it. Number five. The one who sets his deepest affection and 
Desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because with increased wealth comes increased worry. The man who works every day for his living has a, has a rest. Ecclesiastes 5.12. Sweet is the labor of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the person who has a great deal worries about when he or she might not have a great deal. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. For many, with the accumulation of things, comes the accumulation of debt. Debt and the process of paying off an item can quickly destroy any pleasure that it had brought. Most often, people are tired with that which they had by the time they they pay it off. Car loans being extended to seven years. It's a long time to be paying on an automobile. By the time you get it paid off, you know what condition it's in. It becomes an albatross around a person's neck. Living in your means is a lesson that has to be learned at every income level. An increased income does not remove the temptation to live beyond one's means. In fact, in many ways, the temptation grows. No matter how nice the home, there's always a nicer one to be had. Regardless how great the car is, there's a greater car available. Six, the one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because with increased wealth comes the possibility of increased danger. There's grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to the hurt. You might ask the question, what hurt can hoarding money produce? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many, many, many pangs, uh, many worries associated with having money. To hoard something is to try to keep things for oneself. Bernie Madoff is an American stockbroker now in jail at age 82. He is serving one of the remainder, uh, serving the remainder of a 150-year prison term. They wouldn't. He applied for special extending circumstances during COVID, trying to get out, but they didn't let him out. 82, still in prison. Prior to the arrest, Madoff's net worth was approximately $17 billion. Get your mind around that. His net worth, prior to his arrest, was $17 billion. Why would a person who was worth $17 billion steal money? Why would a person with $17 billion steal money. It is the primary reason that Madoff went so long without being caught. Because those that govern the stock exchange never thought that a man who's worth $17 billion is going to be embezzling. That he's going to have a Ponzi scheme. That he is going to be stealing Why would a man worth $17 billion risk reputation and everything he had, including freedom, to steal money? Answer, 510, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Number seven. The one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because with increased wealth comes the possibility of increased loss. Ecclesiastes 5.14, and there were riches were lost in a bad venture. He is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So here is this father who has a son, had great wealth, invested it, and lost it all in that investment. This man has lost everything. He asked 5, 14, and 15 there. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. He's the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. 
This is a grievous evil. That as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there of to the, him who toils for the wind? One Madoff investor, a Frenchman, lost $1.4 billion, which he invested with Madoff. There's the string. Madoff promised to make this guy rich. He was stealing this guy's $1.4 billion. When Madoff was arrested, the news came that the Frenchman had lost all of his $1.4 billion. What did he do? He committed suicide. He couldn't take it. He had nothing to live for. His money was gone. That was his life. He lost it. And so he committed suicide. A bad venture. Investing with Bernie Madoff, who at the time was viewed as the wisest, best investor that there was. Eight, the one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because wealth cannot satisfy our most significant needs. Here's the way that this, this, this satisfaction manifests itself. Verse 17, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. The man's wealth does not make him happy. One does not need to watch the news long or read the headlines of People's Magazine to realize that the rich and famous are not necessarily happy because they are high and famous. Marriages ending in divorce. I remember as a kid, uh, on the way home from church, there was an area where there was this really, really big hill. And on the top of that hill, they were building a gigantuan mansion. And you could see it from the road. And as a kid, I'd always just wait to see when we drive by that mansion to watch the progress. And it was a long time in building. It was huge. It was glorious. And by the time that mansion was built, the married couple that was building it divorced. And they had to sell that house to deal with the division of assets in their divorce settlement and they never lived a day in that house. Not a single day. Money can't guarantee satisfaction. For Michael Jackson, even sleeping pills did not do the trick. And started to use anesthesia to try to get some rest. What a really kind of bizarre answer to sleeplessness, to, to actually go to the place where you're using anesthesia that knocks you out for an operation in order to try to get some sleep because of the worries and anxieties and the difficulties he had. His money didn't solve that. Ecclesiastes 5.12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Conclusion. Guard your hearts against developing a love of money and possessions. The one who sets his deepest affections and desires upon money will be supremely disappointed because with increased possessions comes increased expense, because with increased wealth comes increased worry, because with increased wealth comes the possibility of increased danger. Danger. Didn't even get into the whole concept of Bill Gates who's worth billions of dollars, but said that one of his greatest fears was that his children were going to get uh, kidnapped to be held for ransom. He was always concerned about where his children were, had guarded 
details around his children to protect them. Because of his wealth, he became a target. Because quite often, increased wealth and riches are not all that useful. They just sit there. Because with increased wealth comes the possibility of increased loss. The more you have, the more you can lose. Because wealth cannot satisfy our most significant needs. Can't guarantee our health. It can't guarantee our future. We talk about putting aside money for a rainy day. But we might have a downpour that eats up all of our savings. There's nothing left. The only place of security is in God. The only place of satisfaction is a life lived to his honor and glory. Love of money. Love of money. Love of money ultimately brings oppression. Rich, getting rich at the expense of the poor. One of the things that is incredibly true in our society is the span between the wealthiest having billions and billions and billions of dollars and the poor who are making under $10 an hour. What do you do? Love of money brings oppression. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, guard us from a love of money. Help us to realize that if we're dissatisfied, it's, it's not simply because of what we don't have. Because we have not learned to be satisfied in you. We're going to learn in Ecclesiastes that there is the one who is truly blessed. And that is the one who is given riches and contentment. Oh Lord, give us a contentment. Help us to learn to live within our income. May we bring, not bring a lot of misery and hardship to ourselves and to others as a result of failing to simply be satisfied with what we have, wanting more and more possessions, going greater and greater in debt, and Lord, experiencing more and more trials and troubles. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.